What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another brand new episode of Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast, a Star Wars quarantine cast now that I feel like I've been in my room for all 19 years that Obi-Wan Kenobi was in the desert of Tatooine, just without the thrills and the nice views. Uh, it's been an interesting experience, uh, sort of just hanging out and really, really connecting with the fandom during this time because we all have each other. I mean, and that's that's really what we have at the end of the day is each other and the ties that bind and the story that we all love and just having a lot of laughs and, and online conversations and guest starring on some amazing shows like the Imperial Senate podcast and the Bombadcast and other things that are in the works are really exciting and it's just been an interesting time to hear all these different perspectives and to really consider what kinds of things bring us joy when we are experiencing discomfort, what kinds of things do we go back to for laughter and for excitement, things like Star Wars The Clone Wars, I mean, things that are thrilling the entire fandom right now and really adding a lot of energy um, to the conversations uh, after The Rise of Skywalker ended the saga proper. Now we are in a weird period where it felt like we were gearing up toward announcements and gearing up toward production on other things, but you know, so much of that is stalled now that it really is sort of just a appreciate what you have type uh, situation. And so it's, it's just an interesting time. It's interesting. I'm fortunate to be able to work from home, to be able to work from where I record this show and do it all in one shot. Not everybody has that opportunity or that capability. And so it is, you know, I'm definitely keenly aware of my privilege in the situation. And I am excited to be able to use it to highlight um, some great conversations, conversations that I've been enjoying listening to as I, as I put them together, as I edit them. I mean, just I'm a fan of these people. I'm a fan of the people that have been coming on the show. And I think that it being interview-based and perspective-based is sort of what I always wanted it to be. Um, news is great, and, and reviews are great, and that will always continue on the show in whatever forms and paths uh, the show takes, but it, it was always envisioned as an interview-based show, as sitting down and diving into into the a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away for every single person that comes on. And, and it is no different today as I am joined by an artist, a costumer, a crafter, a sculptor, an effects makeup artist, and just an all-around incredible online Star Wars voice, and that is Tori Fox, a.k.a. The Mandatorian, the creator of the Creature Cartel Shop that's on Etsy that you can check out on Instagram as well, uh, and we'll get into where you can find all of Tori's work later in our conversation, but it's a fun time diving into Tori's background, figuring out where her love of Star Wars comes from, what things in Star Wars she gravitates toward, and everything in between. Uh, love of the Mandalorian, talking about characters like Jabba and Sai Snoodles and Foz and Bede and all these fun, I mean, Babu Frick, all these fun weirdos in Star Wars. These incredible creatures designed by such legendary artists going back to the original trilogy crew with Stuart Freeborn all the way to now with Neil Scanlon and the sequel trilogy and Solo. We get into all of it. We get into CG versus practical. We get into, you know, what we can gather from, you know, the costume symbolism of a character like Padme. And it's just a wonderful conversation. So I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Without further ado, let's throw things over to my conversation right now with Tori Fox. Like I said up top in the introduction, we are continuing our series of guests live to tape from quarantine across the country and the world. Uh, we've had some people overseas. This one hits a little closer to home for me because this person is up in what should basically just be called Disney World. 
uh, and that is uh, North, North Florida, <laughs> whereas I am in South Florida, and we, we have both experienced the um, the kind of ridiculousness of the Sunshine State. During quarantine, this person is an artist, a costumer, a, a creator of all things. I am lucky enough to have one of her pieces hanging in my room right now, uh, oh, Star Wars. <laughs> what did you say? I was like, oh, I can kind of see it. I didn't notice. Where is it? There, there it is. There it is. <laughs> oh, yay. Okay. A, a Star Wars fan who I first became aware of when I saw pictures of this person dressed up like uh, the lovable Claude around Rise of Skywalker season. And I thought to myself, first of all, the skill to have whipped that up already. And then second of all, just the appreciation for the weirdos of Star Wars is something that I really appreciate. And that person is Tori Fox of Creature Cartel. Hello. So lovely to be here. I'm so flattered. Thank you. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing so good, um, all things considered. You know, every day is kind of weird right now, but uh, getting through it. Getting through it. <laughs> you find yourself retreating more into the the creativity and the projects now that you can't escape them or do you are you still finding a, a balance i am definitely finding a balance i would even say more so than like previous me pre-isolation because i very much a workaholic always want to be working on something and doing something and you know right now it's a very um mentally trying time for me and as, as i'm sure it is for many people so i'm trying to give myself as much breaks and as much time as i need so but at the same time it has become an interesting way of focusing on my etsy shop yeah i think that that's that's, that's good and, and nobody's going to be able to sort of bounce into this this quarantine life in a way that is smooth or anything like that but thankfully the common thread sort of with the people that have come on the show is that we all have fandom and we all have Star Wars and things like that to retreat into and to provide some stability because Star Wars fans, we have become used to big periods of boom and conversation and everything happening and then periods where we're all like, okay, what's next? And quarantine is kind of a, okay, what's next type thing. Absolutely. So for you... Yeah. For you, where do, where does this all start? Are you a kid? Are you in middle school? Where where are you seeing the movies, the TV shows? Where where does it all go back to for you? A long time ago. Uh, yes. Um. So, <laughs> I honestly, my family has been have been big Star Wars fans ever since I was little. So I actually don't know the first time that I watched it. Like I couldn't tell you the first time I watched Star Wars. It's just always kind of been something that's very present in my life. Um. I would say for me, like the biggest kind of turning point or kind of increasing of my fandom was um, that I, you know, I grew up in the theme park. So we went to Star Wars weekends at Hollywood Studios. Um, I would go as many weekends, as many times as my mom would take me. Um, so that was a time where my fandom became very tangible and very real. And it was kind of really cool to realize there's a massive community of people that love this thing that I love and I can see all these really, really cool costumes up close and I can meet, you know, designers and artists for Star Wars and I can meet um, people who are actors in Star Wars or voice actors. So that was probably where it really began for me. It was that time. So I was probably like five, four or five, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty consistent with, I think a lot of people in our age group is that with elementary school, and, and meeting, making your first friends and, and, you know, doing your first class projects and all that stuff uh, sort of became, also came though, those first formative Star Wars experiences in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. I know for me, it was 
Attack of the Clones. Um, and, and, you know, when I was six and just seeing that and thinking it was God's gift to art and filmmaking. Um, and, and now, and, and honestly, still still sticking up for Attack of the Clones, even all these years later. But Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. so big on the prequels. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, they're a riot. They really are. They're such a good time. They're amazing. And so for your perception of things, you know, you had sort of that eye into the behind the scenes in a big way that maybe a lot of kids didn't either because you were able to go to things like Star Wars Weekend and say, oh, that's an actor that played such and such. You were able to understand that it was something that people made, which has been a through line for you, obviously all the way up to now where you're making your own stuff and engaging in the thing that you love. So was it that the creatures and the alien effects and all that stuff immediately resonated with you like right off the bat? Yeah, I would definitely say yes. I think it was a combination of kind of having that epiphany of, wow, people make this stuff. This is a thing that, you know, there's a lot of people people behind this. This is a job. Um, but a big contributing factor, I would th- say as well, would be all the other movies that I watched growing up, like E.T., um, the Universal Classic Monsters. My grandma introduced me to those. Like, those were the things that I really connected with monsters and creatures through. And so Star Wars was just a continuation of that. And I definitely think seeing everything up close, because I distinctly remember, I think one of my favorite uh, people to see walking around at Star Wars weekends was they had this really sick Gamorrean guard. And yes. it was, so it had like snot hanging off of it. Like it, it was so good. And so, yeah, <laughs> I, I would say that's definitely... It was an immediate thing for me. And I really, it's so strange. I think my biggest thing is, um, I always think of the Guillermo del Toro quote, which I'm going to slaughter the exact verbiage around it. But basically, uh, monsters are just a reflection of us, you know? And I think that's so beautiful. So that's kind of what I keep coming back to when I think of why I like them. (laughs) I I think that's amazing and, and accurate. And I think that the rewarding thing especially about star wars monsters and these and these creatures is how doubly and, and triply and quadruply rewarding they make every single film where you can find yourself you could spend an hour just pausing jabba's palace or pausing a scene like canto bite or or so many scenes in, in the prequels and just saying there is somebody putting you know that has reached the pinnacle of their life's work like blockbuster cinema and the and one of the biggest stories of all time crafting these costumes and creatures and even though they're on screen for maybe a second like that took days maybe even weeks like and 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 it's just (laughs) such a high appreciation of art and and you mentioned Gamorrean guards return of the jedi is kind of a treasure trove uh in a lot of ways for for what we're talking about is is that would you consider that one of the ones you go back to a lot um i do really like return of the jedi it's definitely i would say in my top movies um i would say for that aspect, probably yes. Uh, Ewoks are incredible, obviously. Uh, yes. <laughs> but I would say uh, probably my favorite of the original is Empire. So, but Empire are some good ones too. So you know, got the yeah. Ugnaughts, got the <laughs> yeah. Ugnaughts, Ugnaughts in in a renaissance right now. The Ugnaughtsons. I, I love it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I see. Uh, obviously, we're we're on video chat for the benefit of audio listeners. Uh, in the same way that I have one of Tori's pieces hanging here, she has the uh, Celebration Mandalorian poster back there. And yes. Mandalorian was another you know, sort of return to that, not original trilogy spirit, because the other trilogies did it too, but with things like Ugnaughts 
and and with uh, the sort of cantina vibe permeating the whole eight episode season, you could tell that that people like Favreau and Filoni really felt the same way you're feeling in a lot of ways. So how did you respond to to that show? Oh, okay. So <laughs> this is going to be a long-winded answer because I am no, so passionate please. about the show. love long-winded. Um, yes. So yes, I have the poster. I got to go. I got to be in the panel at Celebration, which was like a big moment for me, a big moment for me in my fandom. Um, I made it there in the nick of time because it was snowing like crazy in Chicago and the buses were late and it was crazy. That Sunday was <laughs> wild. That Sunday was crazy. It was insane. But um, to be in that room and to like be able to see they had show, showed like a behind the scenes reel, which, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I live for. Oh, incredible. But when I left that panel and I had that poster, I, I just said to myself, this is the Star Wars content that I've always wanted. Like it's everything. It checks all the boxes for me. I really enjoy um, everything about Star Wars, but I've never been like a massive Jedi person. Like I just feel like I can't really relate. Like I've always been really interested in the scum and villainy, bounty hunters, smugglers. Like that was always my jam. And to have this show is like, <laughs> it's just incredible. And the designs and having them bring bringing back all these um, alien species that we hadn't really seen in a while. It was, oh, sorry. I, I no, 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 please. I, I love this. <laughs> I mean, the, the eight episodes was, it was such a, like an embrace, like a, like a really warm hug of everything you knew before. But at the same time, with that, that promise of so much new. And it's it's so funny because, you know, I talked about this a few episodes ago in, in my interview with Richard Newby, for people listening, if you want to go back and check that out, how, we as Star Wars fans, we always talk about how we want new, new, new. We really want new. We want new stories, new characters, new places. But at the same time, we do want to be comforted by old. And it's not a coincidence that the biggest phenomenon, I mean, the phenomenon that like my mom, who doesn't have really any geeky fandoms, knows who Baby Yoda is and what he does. That's a familiar design spinning off of an iconic character and they shrunk it down and they made him cute. And that familiarity is what immediately made us say, I know him. I want to protect him. You know, yeah. if it, if they had opened it up and had been an original uh, alien design baby or maybe an Ethorian baby or a Twilight baby, or, it would have been like, it's cute, but it wouldn't have lit the world on fire the way that it did. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> There's a lot of magic with baby Yoda. Yeah. And, and another example of, you know, what we're talking about of, of the heart and, and soul put into creature effects and and, and model making and, and molds and puppetry. I mean, the puppeteers of Star Wars are just so out of this world. And, and shout out to mm -hmm. Werner Herzog for saying, you are cowards if you take out the puppet baby. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you I, every him. story about him and the baby just... <sighs> moved to tears like a truly Werner we all were I mean the, the most relatable man <laughs> he is all of us and he is the champion of that baby Perfect. so true so true uh but we'll get into a little more Mando uh but I do want to continue on uh so you're thrust into this world what was your first experience saying I want to participate in this like it's not because you know you hear about participatory fans and then observational fans and neither is wrong but there are those those fanfic writers, those fan filmmakers, uh, costumers and crafters. And so wh where was your first jump into the world of, I can do this? 
Uh, it's weird. I don't know if I have like a specific, specific moment. I would say in terms of um, really wanting to get into like creatures and stuff like that, just kind of creating stuff for maybe film or whatever kind of environment it may be. Um, I think I definitely started to have that sort of those sort of thoughts in high school. Um, I really, during that time, got into special effects makeup and kind of teaching myself things on the side. Um, but I would say in terms of like Star Wars and really being into Star Wars and wanting to do things in Star Wars, um, it was probably my first um, Star Wars celebration, which I attended at the beginning of high school, I think it was for me. So going to that was like, wow, there, this is such a massive community, such a wide field of possibilities for me, like career-wise, I'm so interested, <laughs> so... Yeah, and uh, yeah. I think that the, the celebration feeling overall, I mean, like we both know, and w whether it's previous ones or last year's, crossing fingers that <laughs> we get a celebration at some point soon. That'd it's be great. Like, if, if it doesn't if, happen this year, I'm going to be really upset. I understand, and like it may be very, much, very much necessary, but oh, I was so looking yeah. forward to this. That is the, that's an ongoing thread across all the interviews I've been doing is everybody, celebration comes up and we're like, what a great feeling. And then we're like, oh, wait. <sighs> yeah. Quarantine. But yeah, but we'll we'll try to stay positive. We'll try to uh, uh, yeah. you know stay 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 focused on the good and and hope oh, that goodness. at some point that maybe we'll still get some fun things. I mean, Lucasfilm they they do right by the fans, and so we'll, well I'm sure we'll get some stuff later on in the year anyway, even if there is not crowds and people together. Yeah. Uh, but for for you, you know, high school is obviously you know the brink of adulthood, and you're and you're figuring out what you're gonna do going forward. Um, when do you jump into, I can start showing work to people? Like, what was the journey of, you know, I'm going to start displaying pieces that I make. I'm going to start selling pieces that I make and really engage. Like, I've, I've seen all these fans now all congregated together, and these are my people. Now you want to give back to those people and have them give back to you, A, by paying you, uh, but also uh, <laughs> by sharing your work and by engaging and letting people know who you are. Yeah, um, I, so when I was in high school, I took a lot of art classes. So at that point, it's kind of displaying things and, and stuff like that. Um, for me, really, selling things has really just recently clicked within the past, like, year, I would say. I actually made, so one of the products that I have on my, in my shop is the Jeff Horse Fit, which is the necklace that Padme, Padme receives from Anakin. Um, and... I originally just made those for friends, just as like a happy celebration. So I gave them to them when I got celebration and they love them. And I was like, wow, you should sell these. And I'm like, maybe, okay. So um, I did. And so since then I've been, you know, making other products, kind of uploading more personal art and things like that. So it's been a really long journey for me to reach like a, I'm comfortable with selling something point. Um, I think I've struggled with confidence issues on and off, like in terms of my art. I'm very critical of everything that I do. So yeah. it's kind of getting to that point where I can say, you know what, this is good enough. This is great. I'm going to sell it. I think that that's uh, something that we struggle with just personally, but it's also really like poignant and, and relevant to Star Wars and to uh, what we see like in behind the scenes docs. Like I, I don't think I've related as hard to any filmmakers story as to George having a panic attack on the set of Star Wars and needing to needing people around him to to sort of bring him back down to earth and go to a Absolutely, hospital yeah and 
all I mean, and even now, I mean, you hear those George quotes of people criticize the special editions and his whole perspective was, and I think the exact quote was, um, films are never finished, they're abandoned. Do you feel that way in a lot of ways with art? So example, just in, in terms of relevance, if you go to uh, either Tori's social media or mine, uh, which we'll plug at the end, you can see one of the pieces that she made, which I purchased, it's called Skywalker. And I thought it was such an, just an, an evocative myth image because for me, the the Jedi stuff is is where I gravitate toward. Do you feel that, you know, someone like me that has one of the pieces that you're like, I wish I could get it back and, and tool with it, or I wish I had done X, I wish I had done Y? I think it depends on the piece. I'm, I am very much like that where I'm like, okay, I always want to be a work in progress. I always want to be um, perfecting everything. But at the same time, I do understand that there is a certain point when you need to put something down because I will just fuss with something till the end of eternity. So, but it's actually really funny. So you bring this up about, you know, abandonment and then like revisiting things and like making them better so the the piece that I gave you um for anybody who just like a cliff notes of what it looks like it's a it's a block of wood that I have painted with the twin suns on it and then I've attached a um charcoal sketch that I did with charcoal and watercolor with um Vader on onto it so the sketch I had from high school for years and it just kind of sat there and I looked at it and I was like, I want to do something with this. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I really want to do something with it. Um, and my previous job actually bought out um, one of the galleries downtown um, for like a month to display our work. So I was like, this is it. I'm going to make this look really cool. Like I'm going to do something with it. And so I ended up doing what you have. That so. is so, so cool. Oh, now I'm going to look yeah. at it and so feel like this. Yeah, your piece is like yours in the making, my guy. <laughs> That is like some some like deep like nostalgia and, and, and like personal journey imbued yeah, in that. Like, honestly, thankfully, yeah. thankfully, your personal journey does not reflect Vader's because that that would be unfortunate. But yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, eventually he gets there. That's true. But, yeah, you know. some trials and tribulations along the way. Oh, that I is so beautiful. Yeah, such a nice story. I don't know if you ever get like emotional thinking about your own stuff or or you have that moment. I mean. We see it a lot in like movies about musicians and movies about artists where they have that moment of like, this is, you know, this is my uh, completion of like a chapter in my creative life. But you really sort of like in a very Star Warsy way, like kind of went back in time and high fived younger Tori, which is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> you could have never foreseen that like older you would have the 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 answer to because, you know, you, you create something. And in a lot of ways, I've had that even doing, you know, because I, I work in broadcasting and everything like that, and I've never had the skill or the or the the inclination to to get into the visual arts. That to me is a, a fascinating. Like when I when I talk to artists or or see art or go to a gallery or anything like that, I feel like I'm visiting like a whole another realm. So for me, I remember starting a a Star Wars show with some buddies back when. I was like 14 and then when it didn't work out and to now have a Star Wars podcast where we're getting people together and everything like that, it is that weird, you think you're done or you think it's not going to work, um, but you're able to sort of, you know, it's actually Ray that comes to mind while you were talking. Do you, do you relate to Ray at all? Because that's it, it, in that, in that scavenger, like piece it together, put it together. Yeah, rebuild. I do. Talk about that real quick, you know, being especially uh, a, a woman in fandom and how criminally long uh, people, I mean, we had Ahsoka 
in the in the deeper fandom of people that watch the shows and stuff. But now on the now we're 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 done with a trilogy that gave the first you know silver screen female Jedi to everybody. Yeah. Um. I so I really liked Ahsoka a lot. I don't know if I really could super relate to her per se. Like I said, the whole Jedi thing for me has always kind of been um, a like mental barrier of I just could never do that. I just can't see myself making those <laughs> those like concrete like you can't have loved ones this and that kind of thing. So um ray for me which i know it's kind of since changed a smidge but um i really related with ray because she was you know a nobody she was someone that um you know i love leia so much i want to be like leia but you know leia's a senator like padme's a, a queen like i feel really hard it's really hard for me to relate to these things so ray just being like this cute little like trash person in the desert like teaching herself how to make stuff like I super related to that and it was really cool to see her for the first time on screen it was definitely I would say like a really important moment for me because that was the first time I feel like I really like related to a main female character so it was pretty neat yeah that was just sort of the the thing that the vibe that I was gathering talking about like you know how you were able to to repurpose and things like that and I know that in the the novelization for for Rise of Skywalker when Rey is inside of the Death Star Ray Carson added this great beat inside her head where she's looking around at everything and she can't help but see it sort of in dollar signs and in and and how much how many portions <laughs> she could get for everything there because she's still even now having trained for a year under you know, Leia Organa, and, and she has a Jedi Master, and she's she's basically, I mean, they don't call her a Padawan in, in the movie, but she is uh, a Padawan, becoming a knight and, and fulfilling all this destiny. Uh, she still, at the end of the day, is kind of a scavenger girl, which I know that Ray Palpatine is very controversial, and it's a hot-button issue, and it probably will be until we get another movie, and then we can yell about that one. But the... Um, <laughs> When Palpatine says you're a scavenger girl is no match for the power power of me, I was glad that he he called her that. And then her her next her next move is to call with the force the lightsaber that she repaired with her mechanical skill. I mean, she's the first more so than Anakin. I mean, we get told Anakin can build things, but we never really see him do it on screen. We yeah, get told that he three PO. But but Ray, we see like yeah, she took this thing that you've all loved your entire life and she put it back together with intuition and because she's good at this and she she can do things with her hands and i think that she is uh way more multifaceted than a lot of people uh want to give her credit for for various reasons it's not not everybody in the fandom as open to certain things uh not everybody as cool so for you uh i want to talk a little bit about sort of the work that you're doing and and have done and how it sort of reflects uh your likes and 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 dislikes maybe things you're not as into in star wars and so where things sort of reflect personally so with the Jafor snippets um that are on your shop right now uh that you said sort of kick-started the i can sell these types of things is that representative of the fact that padme is also important to you being a prequel kid what is your relationship like with that symbol of a tragic relationship in a lot of ways um for me i think it is because padme does mean a lot to me i do really like her a lot um i don't know if i'd place her like super high on like ah oh, she's my favorite character but i really appreciate padme i think um there's so many different facets to her she is you know a senator a queen um i 
live for her outfits. Like, I cannot even tell you how much I live for her outfits. And there's a lot more to her than meets the eye, you know? There's a lot of kind of, like, almost espionage kind of aspects to her and her life and her decoy system and all of that. And so um, she's just a strong, awesome woman. I'm all about it. So um, with the Jeff Moore snippet, I really enjoy... Um, yes, it is a symbol of, like, a tragic romance, but I think I... I think it's really beautiful that that's like what she's kind of like shown with at the end of all of this when she's kind of, you know, during her funeral procession and all of that. And so and I had a lot of friends that were very um, big fans as well. So I kind of made that with them in mind as well. So for me, it's weird when I think about it. I don't my immediate thought is not the tragedy of it. It's the the little kid giving it to this really awesome chick and she holds onto it and it's just it, for me when i look at it i just think of her that's cool i think that, yeah. that is definitely the the hopeful side of it and even and even and you know on her on her deathbed with obi-wan you know she is she does hold out that that read that he's not gone in a lot of ways and and it's it's sort of you know i was talking to a friend the other day about how if and you would have to rewrite the entire thing but if padme Amidala was able to interact with Ben Solo, there would be no Kylo Ren because it, where everybody else sort of slipped up and for various reasons, Luke, Han, Leia couldn't connect with this kid. I think that his grandmother and it sort of did have that compassion where there were so many points where Anakin went right, where if he had gone left, things would not have happened. And Padme was always sort of the the guiding light very thematically important in a lot of ways so i think it's cool that you're you're highlighting her and also that you're highlighting something from the prequels yes like i said i'm a big prequel fan i'll always defend the prequels <laughs> i would say fandom's probably like it, that's definitely my top movies i love phantom the phantom menace is like a big fave see that's interesting because i've always struggled with the phantom menace but i've started to come around to it very recently in my life so with phantom menace what what about it um obviously padme um, but w was it seeing it um, and relating to because we were kids? So did you relate at all to Anakin? Uh, did you uh, find, uh, you know, Jar Jar to be uh, uh, like effective in the way that George wanted him to be for us, for the kids? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jar Jar shirt on. I wore Jar Jar shirt for everyone. <laughs> um, it's a big it's a, it's a bunch of different things for me with the Phantom Menace. I think it was very. Um, a very important moment for me because it was like the first movie that I can remember like consciously seeing and I can remember I you know I was alive for it right like all the other ones wasn't quite there yet um so it's really important to me in that respect I also I love Jar Jar the design of that movie is incredible um Darth Maul is one of my favorite characters so um meeting him for the first time super neat that lightsaber battle is still one of my favorite lightsaber battles between him Obi-Wan um and Qui-Gon so I just I really could go on all for forever about why I like this movie um but to me I just and I guess I probably did relate to Anakin as a child I I don't know I, I don't, it's not something I particularly remember relating to. I think more than anything, at the time, I was very obsessed with Padme and very wanting to be like, man, I want those outfits. Let's make that a tangent for a second. Rattle off some of the favorite uh, Padme outfits across the three films and also, uh, also Clone Wars. 
Okay, number one is definitely um, the packing dress, which I do, do not think gets enough love. I know that's not one oh, that like hardly anyone lists. It's, it's my favorite. It's She's got nice. the buns. It's very almost like Victorian era inspired in a way. Um, it's the one that she wears when she's packing and speaking to Anakin um, up in her apartment on Coruscant. Um, that is probably my number one favorite. Um, I also really enjoy um, the um, black number that she wears um, in the Phantom Menace. Yes, in the Phantom Menace, where um, with the feathers, kind of. Yes, the feathers are like sticking up. It's very lacy and like crocheted all over. That one's beautiful. She is like the like, almost kind of like weird translucent like gems that are kind of like on her like on her ears. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a favorite. Um, I really what I really enjoy about her costumes is the kind of like subtle workings of like kind of like Naboo references and things like that. So I also really enjoy um, her hooded outfit from Revenge of the Sith. It's green, and if you look at it really closely, it has like the Naboo crest like embroidered in it. So those are a couple, but. <laughs> You're, I, like, I you're like, I could rank all 70 of but them. I love all, all of them. Yeah, I really, honestly, I love all of them. So <laughs> I think that there is uh, s- such thematic uh, resonance and implications to all the ones that she chooses, too. I mean, I believe it was on, on Force Center uh, with Joseph Scrimshaw, who was on a couple episodes uh, before this one. And he had talked about how the black outfit with all the feathers and phantom menace is it's just this metal way of this young 14 year old uh monarch just saying screw you like she's essentially dressed like for a funeral um it's almost to spite them almost to uh, just to stick it to them in any way possible in the most elaborate and 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 beautifully detailed way uh to underline to her people to the people that are being escorted with her that she's fully aware of the, of the 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 horrible quality of the situation that they're in, and and again, like every time I see a Padme scene, especially I mean, obviously in Phantom Menace when she is fourteen, I have that running through my brain all the time, where I'm like, she's a freshman in high school. In our world, she's a freshman in high crazy. school. It's so crazy, but yeah, I'm a big fan of the like there's no coincidences with her outfits like they're all very they're all very significant to the story as it's happening and they're all very um just well thought out and i love that and i because i i was speaking with some friends about this recently actually talking about how like you know obviously in the first movie she is a queen so she's very regal it's very um over the top and this and that and then you get into episode two and you have it's more romantic she wears things that are like a little softer and she's kind of more herself so to speak and so i just it all it all ties this this story together so well and i love that yeah i mean you go to the uh the scene by the fire after they have dinner where it is truly the most explosive we can we can't we can we can't scene um of anakin you know of your your you're asking me to be rational and that's something that I cannot do. And, and six year old Alden is sitting there uh, like, is this romance? Oh my goodness. <laughs> what is happening? Uh, what's the, they're fighting, but they're supposed to be in love. And, and she's wearing the, the black leather and she had the, the piece over it while they were eating. But then it's the afterward. It's, it's almost like she's bearing like her shoulders now, but it's uh, she can't be close to him in that moment even though there is more of a of a sensualness overall. And Anakin's outfit's the only Jedi outfit that has black leather. Now she's in black leather, and and obviously the just the, the room is dark, and there's so many indications of, oh, God, like, this is... 
tumultuous. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's super effective overall. So uh, with Padme and, and with Phantom Menace, uh, obviously there's a lot of uh, creature stuff in general. And so we obviously that's the the through line here uh, with your work in the creature cartel and your, and your shop and everything. And um, I know that there are alien species that are important to you that that appear in your work you know looking at your stuff online with the the mon calamari and and things like that that you've made and phantom menace obviously has lots of alien species that were introduced there i mean you've got like toydarians and stuff with Watto, which is a hilarious design and just the idea of a little junk guy flapping around has always uh resonated with me but what are the the creature designs overall that you find yourself going back to the most that are most inspiring that the craftsmanship behind them hits you in a certain place. Uh, feel free to stop on one and really talk about it or just rattle off a few. Yeah. Um, the Mon Calamari are my favorite. They're my all-time favorite. Um, when I went to special effects makeup school, um, the that was the first thing I ever sculpted. I had never touched clay before, and I was terrified, and I sculpted a Mon Calamari and made a mold of it. And so that was, like, my first time I ever even made, like, a creature. So I think they're really special to me in that regard. But in general, um, I'm a big fan of Admiral Akbar. I always have been. Um, <laughs> so, awesome. yeah, I really I really enjoy their design. Um, I've, it's been really fun for me to, as time has gone on, see more... Um, kind of different paint schemes and stuff like that on them. I've loved like Rogue One. I love Radis so much. And then oh, his little Radis. his little friends behind him that are white with the black spots. Like it's it's been such a cool journey to see them added into more Star Wars content and to give them a little bit of a different look than, you know, the traditional Akbar. So And Akbar. I love Aptab. Oh, so sweet. So pure. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, to Aftab to me is like, you know, j- just out of college, but then dad died, and so, so now he's going to join the so fight. Like I, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's I like he's got like he's got like a little chin instead of a big chin, like all the grown-ups have, and like he's like he's like thin and tall, lanky. Like, I, I, yeah, Aftab's cool. It was really fun to see a young a young one in a live action. It was pretty neat. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I also really enjoy, sorry, I'm looking at my office because I have like my favorite things on top of my. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> on top of my desk. So I'm like, hmm, who else is a favorite? So like Star Wars wise, um, Size Noodles is a big favorite of mine. In general, I love her character. I think she's so <sighs> just incredible, you know, yes. a pop and, singer, but she also if, like killed her gangster boyfriend. Like whatever. She's so cool. People, um, people go to your social media when this is over, they can see your your size noodles run Disney outfit that you made, which was so effing cool. Like Thank it you was so much. <laughs> really cool. I don't think I, I don't think a single person at any run Disney event would have thought to do that. That was so neat. It was really fun. I think my favorite part of that was um I after the race, so they have people that bike the course to make sure that like everyone's safe and nobody's like you know down on the ground like her or whatever and just kind of like to see how things are going and so they bike back and forth the whole time so um at the end of it this guy stopped me who was on one of the bikes and he was like I saw every person's costume and I loved yours like yours was my favorite and I was like that is so (laughs) sweet but yes I'm like very passionate about certain characters to where I will make a weird outfit of them. Um, Size Noodles was definitely, I think, my favorite to date still. Um, it just, it really turned out better than I thought it would have. And um, and I did have, I, in my pictures, I have like a little fanny pack. I had a speaker in there and I did play Laptinec as I ran. 
Yes. So, <laughs> which was like a very like long hour and a half for me to like just constantly listen to that on a loop. But I was like, I have to do this. Um, so yeah. So I really enjoy Sai. I love her design. I really enjoy her like color palette and just the the lips sticking out. It's such a it's so weird. Like I don't know how anybody thought of it, but I love it. Um, I also really enjoy um, <laughs> Foden Bead from um, the Phantom Menace. That's the double headed the um, announcer. <laughs> yeah. And so I, my best friend Brandy and I, we met in high school and we really bonded over Star Wars. And um, we started going to the theaters for when um, they were like, hey, we're going to release each movie, a movie a year, right? And then like right after they released The Phantom Menace, they never did it again because Disney had bought Yes. Um, but we went for the first one and we went to see The Phantom Menace and we looked at each other and we were like, ah that's us so i still i have like a very special place in my heart character wise but also just visually again it's so strange how did anybody come up with this i love it so <laughs> i i never once thought that foden and bead would get so much shine uh on this podcast or any podcast uh so i feel like i have uh an exclusive look into uh, the world's biggest foden bead fan like right here <laughs> right here live to tape love them so much <laughs> I think that Foden Bead is interesting because they 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 they're so they're involved obviously like in the scum and villainy that you spoke about with Mandalorian, but they have this uh, a is very it's very real world and and but they are really they seem like they love their job. They don't yeah, they don't they're mind just like having such a good time, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but it, whoo, ha, whoo. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they they really uh they don't mind that the fact that they they work in close proximity to Jabba and so many other terrible people. They're not phased by that. Yeah, they're, they're just vibing. Yeah, and it's it, great. Exactly. Uh, mentioning Jabba for somebody so interested in creatures and with such a passion for that kind of thing, where does Jabba fall for you in, in your in your fandom? Because I remember as a, as a kid, just I, I almost had a a, a Diego Luna type thing with Jabba where I'm like the texture like I, I remember even as a kid him. being like like look at his his arms and how did they make a thing where the the tongue looks so real but it's it's so many different materials and the eyes like that thing is like a, a feat of filmmaking it is um I was always like it's funny you bring up the eyes I was always like as a kid I remember being very like obsessed with the eyes like the eyes are just so good um but so I've always, growing up, Jabba and Salacious Crumb were actually, like, a big thing for my household because my dad loves Salacious Crumb. Like, he's Salacious Crumb's number one fan. He <laughs> loves him. So I, you know, and obviously the two go together. So I've always, they've always really been on my radar as, and, like, in that way and also just because they're just really cool. But, yeah, I was fascinated as a kid. I was like, how did they make this happen? And Jabba is just his paint scheme, too. Like, I think as a kid, I would look at him and be like, he's got so many different, like, colors going on. And, yeah, he's, like, really gross, but I'm also, like, just very interested, you know? Like, if yeah. I, I would always think about if I was in a room with him, I would just be fascinated by how he looks. And it wasn't until like, I was older that, yeah. that I, I realized that he has a tattoo and just, like, the the amount of details that they that they got in there and uh, and how it eventually leads to... Like similar similar way to Mon Calamari of of you know George and and the animators saying okay and how can we expand this you know Zero will have a totally different look and you know Mama will have a totally different look than either of them and and really expanding like what Hut's 
could be what they could act like. I mean, in Star Wars Resistance, we've seen a hut that's light blue now. And yeah. uh, so it's become uh, really interesting to see that expand. But obviously Jabba, really one of the most iconic characters of the original trilogy. But across time uh, and in fandom, we've noticed there has been a little bit of criticism of the sequels, a trilogy that I largely do love. Um, for people will, I think it's an, a little bit of an exaggeration, but people will say abandoned a lot of the original and prequel trilogy designs and aliens. Do you have, as someone that pays attention to this on, on a special level, do you agree with that? Or do you think that it was worth doing to highlight a lot of new designs? So it's, I love that you brought this up because this is a very interesting, this is a question that I've always kind of like, it comes up often with like friends and stuff. And so I really enjoy all of the sequel trilogy designs, like Neil Scanlon and team, incredible stuff. Like, and I, I, oh my God. And um, I actually got to go to, they had a creatures panel at Star Celebration last time. And they had, um, it was one of the aliens from Solo that is at the poker table. And, and it's a, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but. No, please, please. <laughs> um, it's the, like, I think it's eight eyes or six eyes all on their own little um, kind of like tentacles sticking out from his head. And it's a, it's a practical like helmet essentially that the puppeteer can wear and the way that they have the inner workings of it done, it can move, like everything moves fluidly with the person moving their head and it blinks on its own. It looks like there's a real alien in the room. It's insane. So I have a massive appreciation for everything that has come out with the new movies because I think, you know, as technology advances and new techniques are developed, like we're only getting better at this. And so I have a massive appreciation for that. That being said, I understand the statement of where's all the old aliens? I've definitely asked that a few times. Um, mainly just because I, I just think it'd be cool to see maybe just like one, like I don't even need a lot, like maybe like one in a background somewhere just to kind of bring it back up. But I do think that the Mandalorian has satisfied a lot of that for me. And the way that I view it with the sequel trilogy trilogy is I don't know how, you know, population distribution, everything happens in the galaxy. So they could just be going to other places, which they are, that I've never seen, that those species just don't, they're not there. Yeah, I, I think that that is definitely uh, probably an accurate assessment, especially with somewhere like Canto Bight, where the idea is sort of Ryan Johnson bringing to light, of course, war profiteering, but also classism and things like that. Uh, my, my dog wants to chime in about about uh, classism now in Star Wars. Um, but the yeah, she, she, she's really thoughtful. <laughs> uh, but the uh, the ideas of um, how scum and villainy is a, in a lot of ways associated with Rodians and with Ithorians and with even Wookiees to a certain extent. But now we're seeing Canto Bite and it's people of a certain uh, status. And so wouldn't that naturally tie in with race relations? And and could that all just be me uh, imparting real world stuff onto it of how we see classism in America and in the real world? Uh, could be. Um, but I think that Ryan, out of all the people in Star Wars, sort of did um, have that more at the forefront. It's all a metaphor. And so I think that th some of that could be there with the creature designs. And I wish we could have slowed down and seen everything that they did that, you know, Neil Scanlon uh, and Michael Kaplan and all these people. Um, but I think it is ultimately still effective. I don't know if, if that's a scene that you enjoy as much. 
uh, but because I... it has a different polish. But yeah, I'm a big fan of Cancho White. Like I, I am I allowed to uh, curse? I don't want to. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. And by and by the okay. way, I'm leaving that in. I'm leaving. Okay, that's fine. Am I allowed to curse? I don't have a hard and fast swearing rule. I just no. I let the guests decide if there's going to be basically. Absolutely. Cool, cool. Okay, so where I was going with this was like, I'm such a big fan. My friend and I made um, buttons for Star Wars Celebration that were kind of like the swag that we handed out. And it they say Canto Bitches on it. And they're actually for sale in my shop too. That's a shameless plug. But <laughs> I love Canto Bite. I will defend it to the death. I think it's such an important scene for so many reasons. Lots of d- development for Finn. Lots of talk about, like you said, like war profiteering and like, there are so many people that are profiting off of both sides and all of that. Like I, I love that scene. So, and I do I enjoy seeing all the different um, creatures. There's so many creatures in there and so many interesting costumes. And I agree. I would love to just, I wish I could just like sit there and look at everything for a very long period of time. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's something that that has added to my love and appreciation of Mark Hamill over time is every behind the scenes documentary, seeing Mark Hamill show up, on sets of scenes that he has nothing to do with, like yeah, wanting to be around Babu Frick and wanting to be on Cantu Bite and on all these all these places where Mark Hamill is, he's he's us. Oh, but let's talk about Babu for a second, oh. uh, uh, since uh, he has been one of the true universally loved elements of modern Star Wars, going back to Rebels and Force Awakens uh, all the way to now. Uh, Babu has he's got his own fandom now. Talk about that uh, as a feat of puppeteering, as a character. Go in about Babu. Babu is the greatest. Um, I I have never felt such joy. Honestly, like he's just so <laughs> precious and cute, and just to see the close-ups of his face, and he's got like little like stubble, and the way his like the pupils of his eyes are, like he is just precious, and the puppeteering and everything. I have such mad respect. He is just absolutely flawless in execution and design, everything. Just this little like welder man. <laughs> I, I I love the and of course I mean the the voice acting is just. Out oh my of this gosh! World for him. I mean, the that there he has one. He has, all of his lines are great, but the one line where he's trying to explain basically what's gonna happen, and it's droid brain go black, black black is I think one of the one of my favorite Star Wars quotes of all time already because it's it's like this man is an expert. We should all show him some respect. This absolutely, man is, is, yes. is, is a is a genius. Yes, absolutely. Uh, oh my gosh! I think that with with Babu. You know, he sort of emphasizes the the feats of puppeteering and, and, and in a way that even even BB-8 does um, with BB being practical for like 95 percent of his existence um, with with a, the creatures um, enthusiast and, and creator like yourself. I think it's a good time to address one of the biggest questions, which is the place of CG versus practical and where you stand on it overall especially when we have seen some pivoting in the modern era of a character like Maz going from CG to practical, which is the opposite of what we normally see. So where do you stand on that as somebody that can mold things, can create, is passionate about this, loves Del Toro and all these scenes, um, but even George, who made this world we love, definitely pivoted in the opposite direction. So, so talk about that. Um, so I think, you know, 
and I'll start off by saying I'm not, you know, knocking how any of the movies were done. I love all of them very much. Um, but I do think for me, the sweet spot is as much practical as you can manage with CGI paired up just to like enhance everything. Um, I totally understand the approach for the uh, prequel trilogy movies. It was a time where a very exciting time where this amazing amount of technology was available to us. Like, why not take advantage of it? Um, and, you know, obviously the models and all of that uh, are still, were still used, um, but maybe, you know, clearly more heavily CGI. Um, for the original trilogy, um, I live for all of those models and all of the practical effects. So I think the sequel trilogy is kind of a really nice um, molding of the two. Uh, you have a really, really decent amount of practical effects and then a little bit of that CGI in there just to kind of help it along. So as someone that makes things, I am definitely big on the practical because I do think at a certain point you can do incredible CGI, but there's just something about practical that you might not always get with the CGI. Yeah, and I think that there's a it's it's almost like that there's something in your in your brain and your eye that can let you know that it is actually in the space which is which is what the irony of of us you know gushing about Mandalorian is that they fooled me on so many levels with with their set design is I mean That's it all yeah. it all being stagecraft blew my mind. I mean even uh Werner Herzog's office I thought for sure that that at least was a room and it's not. It is absolutely nuts what they were able to pull off with that absolutely yeah when i saw all of that that was incredible that's another kind of you know even as we get better and better at cgi and like stagecraft and all of that maybe practical isn't as necessary because you can still achieve those looks but i was absolutely shocked when i saw all of that yeah, but but even then, I mean, it still it still does need to be uh, a marriage in a lot of ways with mm-hmm. uh, the the child and with Quill and and Blurgs and things yeah. like that. I'm glad that they uh, went back to that. I'm glad that the Blurgs look a little stop motiony, um, whether it was yes, authentically done, yeah, or or if they just sort of achieved that look. I love that the Razor Crest is is a ship model um, with just yeah. passing light and stagecraft over mm-hmm. it is. It's really, really cool. So, you know, we talked about some your favorite movies like Phantom Menace, and we've talked about characters like Padme and, and Mon Calamari and all these reflections in your work. But um, we'll start with a sort of twofold, uh, just final topic here uh, for Star Wars in general, where we don't know is the rumored Rebel sequel at the time of this recording. Is it going to be announced anytime soon? I don't know. Do we know if it's going to be Ryan Johnson? Next up to the plate uh, with the 2022 film, which if they can even make 2022 at this point with everything going on, who knows? What do you yeah. want to see uh, in the future? Are you a Star Wars gamer? Are you a Star Wars book person? So uh, where what are you excited about right now? Um, I'm very much excited for the second season of Mandalorian. I think that's probably one of the things that occupies my brain space most often um, nowadays. I think we're in a really interesting time period where, you know, we've completed this big saga. So it's like, wow, there's so much out there. Um, I'm, I love books. I'm, I'm a big audiobook person. I'm pretty busy. So I unfortunately don't have time to like sit there with a book a lot, but I'm very excited about this higher public area era. I'm, I'm all for world building and expanding and all of that. And I love being able to learn about different 
different periods of, in time in Star Wars. And so High Republic is definitely all of those things. Um, I'm very excited to learn about the like Viking-esque like yes. uh, kind of villains that are popping up and all of that. Like it seems like they're really pulling from a lot of really interesting points of inspiration. So I'm very excited for that. Um, I'm kind of game for whatever movie-wise. Um, I'm su- I would love to see something totally new and different and not something that I'm used to. Like that's why Mandalorian's great. Um, I love being introduced to all these new characters that are not crazy dependent on anything before it. It's its own thing. It's its own block of time. I live for that kind of stuff. So I'd love more solo stories, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, to your point about High Republic and, and anything coming forward, the fact that they have approached High Republic, a publishing initiative with the attitude of like movie level pre-production. Yes, and bring, the and bringing in, Yes, oh, like it was yes. nuts. Like seeing that video that it just made my heart just soar uh, and, and my brain just started moving at like a thousand miles a minute thinking about, oh my God, they put so much effort into it. Like, this is crazy. Like how many surprises are in store? And the fact that we only know about the first wave of this stuff is is nuts. Um, so, at, you know, in terms of the future uh, in that way, we talked a little bit about what's coming up. I love that. Uh, I was thinking earlier when we, you know, when we started this conversation that your journey as a little kid sort of starts with the Gamorrean guard. And what is the first thing that Favreau teases for Mandalorian season two is a big buff Gamorrean. It's almost like, when I tell you that I died, I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, to see a Gamorrean uh, that's ripped is hysterical. To see a Gamorrean again is just exciting. He's like in in shape, like the sexy Gamorrean. Uh, But for you, I mean, that that must have been such a cool moment uh, overall. Yes. And Uh, Mandalorian just, it, it was, and I know it will continue to be with that, like such a love letter to the kind of, of like original creatures and all of that so and design so and uh so the the second uh wing of that question in a lot of ways is with all of that coming and with all of the stuff we're excited about what is next for you uh what can you tease what can you talk about what are some things that maybe you don't have the the materials for or the room for or that you haven't quite cracked yet that you keep coming back to like you're like this is going to be the next thing for me creatively Yeah, um, I recently got a 3D printer, so I'm really getting into that. Um, I have a lot of things that are printed that I've just not yet put together. Um, I have a whole BD-1 printed from Jedi Fallen Order. Oh, yes. I love BD-1, so I'll be putting that together at some point. Um, I have a lot of the files and stuff and plans for an armorer costume because um, I love the heck out of her. She's probably one of my favorite characters at this point. Um, so that's kind of like personal stuff. Um, I'm working on a lot of fun stuff for my shop, Creature Cartel. Um, I have, um, I'm trying to focus kind of like on jewelry and kind of handbags as well. I came out with like a Ewok handbag that I hand stitched, um, last week. So I'm working on a new one and working on some necklaces and earrings inspired by some of my favorite characters. So that's exciting. So just kind of filling my time with all that. That's so cool. And I love that the shout out to the armorer who I think is uh, a fascinating character. And I, I talked to um, to my, my buddy Charlie Ashby a few episodes ago about sort of where we think things could go. And I have a this will be a longer conversation for another time. And maybe uh, maybe you can come back and we can do Mandalorian season two speculation, Ooh, which, would, yes, which, which would be awesome. Uh, I have a, a, a sinking suspicion that events are going to pit Din Djarin against the armorer. 
uh, in a certain way. And I, really? and I don't think I don't think either of them is going to be necessarily wrong. And I don't think that the armorer is a villain. But I do think that in similar ways that we've seen with Duchess Satine and Bo-Katan and and you know Pre Vizsla, how there's there's always been faction conflict. I don't think that the armorer and Din, for various reasons, can stay on the same page for now. I, I it's gonna be. I think it'll be complicated. Okay, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued she, by this theory. I've never yeah. thought of that. I think it could go a lot of ways. I'm hoping we see her again. I think we will. There's got to be a reason for her to show up. So who knows? Hmm. Yeah, her last scene was so epic. The oh, incredible. That, I, that it it just felt like it felt like Favreau and Filoni saying, "Oh, you thought we were done with this character? Nah, no way. Look at how cool uh, she is. Absolutely not. She's way too cool for that. Absolutely. Oh, I love it." Yeah, her 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 leadership style fascinates me, and just the way that the uh, even a character like Paz Vizsla being such a, a big brute like respects her so much that he he would stop picking on Din and everything. Just and and, and also Emily Swallow's voice is just amazing, and like the way that she such a cool voice. Oh my god, yeah. yes, she commands presence and everything like that. So mm-hmm. so that's the, that's the aside about that. But we should dive into it. Uh, fully at some point and talk about everything that we think is going to happen, whether uh, Ahsoka stuff comes to pass, whether um, we get more of the child, if we get a child home planet or anything like that, that could be a creature. Heaven. I, that's my biggest hope is that I, we find where they come from. That's my biggest. <laughs> it sort of I reminds hope. me of the, uh, the ET ride at universal where you see where the ETs are from. Like that's, that's my that's favorite what... ride. I love that ride. <laughs> It's it's a really really fun ride, and it, it it gives me such nostalgia to think about. And I know you shouted out ET earlier. Definitely a a spot in my childhood as well. But we will uh we'll wrap up here for now. Uh, I definitely would love to have you back on because I, I love hearing all of your insights and all the stuff uh, that you have to say just about the saga, especially as somebody that is again a participatory fan who is creating their own stuff. So for everybody listening that wants to check out the work, uh, do a plug fest, plug away, tell us everything where we can go. Yes, absolutely. So, um, my regular Instagram for like my personal stuff is, um, the dot mandatorian. So it's Mandalorian, but with Tori in the middle. Um, and that is also the same for my Instagram for Twitter, Instagram. And then my, um, shops instagram and twitter uh the twitter is at creature cartel and the instagram is at creature cartel shop and i'm also on facebook as well under creature cartel um you'll know it's the one because it's got a big pink alien is the photo so there it is yeah. there it is so, so and Tori, the, again. the etsy is creature cartel as well so sorry oh yes yes no 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 <laughs> uh, absolutely uh and you can go and uh Japor snippets i believe are available uh canto bitches uh available now yeah um, couple other things. There's a stra- Stranger Things is represented on there. I have, yeah, I have a Stranger Things. I dump your ass button. I and then I also ass. have, I think I have a piece of personal art on there right now. I will be putting up a bag soon. And then I also am working, I'm finalizing a necklace and some earrings this next week too. So lots of new things, getting them going. So there it is. Well, Tori, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you making the time, especially during this weird uh, quarantine that we're all living in. So absolutely. Thank you so much. This was so fun. That was a blast. Thank you so much. And as for this uh, show, as always, you can find me personally at AD underscore Strider on Twitter at A period D period Strider on Instagram and the show wherever you get your podcasts at 
A-H-C-H-T-O radio, Octo radio. Uh, we didn't even talk about porgs on this show. Another creature I that- I do love porgs yeah, a lot. <laughs> uh, for me, it's for me it's Ewoks and, and porgs. And, uh, but for me personally, the reason why I love Octo is actually the, the Lanai uh, caretakers. I think that the caretakers are just the Very best. Very incredible. They the, are. The you're, best. You're correct. Yes. So uh, Octo Radio, if you're listening on uh, Spotify, uh, I appreciate it. If you're listening anywhere else, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, drop a review, drop some stars. Don't leave the stars for me, though. Leave the stars for Tori. Leave the stars for the guests because so help me. uh, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Stars are valuable in this world. uh, So we can keep doing great shows like this. And uh, yeah, I think that about does it for us. So we will end this episode like always, with that call to adventure that keeps us going, especially in quarantine, punch it, Chewie.